Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Well, welcome here this morning. Hope you guys are having a great time already. Last week, we kicked off this series, the original Christmas playlist, and I took a little bit of flack for some of my disparaging words about Boney M. However, I also received some kind of secret, it seemed like guys kind of secretly from their wives offering me some support uh, on my case there. So a little bit polarizing. Oh, thanks, Darren. Yeah. (laughs) He knows what's up. When you try your best. Okay. Anyways, uh, as uh, we kicked off last week and I was kind of making fun of Boney M up here, I started thinking, what are the best Christmas albums out there? So I ended up on Google listening to some different Christmas albums, listening to some Weezer, some Reliant K, great options if you're me. Um, Then I came across what I think we could easily land on as the greatest Christmas album ever. In the 1960s, the Beach Boys put out a Christmas album. I don't, anybody heard that before? I see a hand there. That's brave in a Baptist church. Put your hand up. Good job. Um, if you haven't listened, it's hilarious. Something pretty ironic about living in Canada at Christmas time, listening to a band called the Beach Boys. But anyways, check it out. Um, but you know, the Boney M thing is a little polarizing, um, and I thought it'd be good to find some common ground. So I thought this would be a safe one. Can we all just, I think we can all agree that there is no need ever again at Christmas time for anybody to push play, for anybody to turn on, for, or for any of us to listen to the Celine Dion Christmas album, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah, okay. That's good. Some of the husbands that were brave enough to amen by their wives there. Um, music is pretty subjective. There are Celine Dion, Boney M fans in here that are, you know, giving me daggers right now. Actually, I talked to a guy after first service, and he was like, I feel you on the Celine Dion thing, though, but we're on different teams on the Boney M thing, and I just said, I will pray for you. Um, But, (laughs) you know, music's pretty subjective and kind of polarizing. We have different opinions and all that. I grew up listening to a genre of music that isn't even actually really alive anymore. It's called punk rock, and, uh, oh, okay, there we go, yeah, okay. This is like, I just talk about music and I get lots of like, you know, I talk about Jesus, like preach my heart out and it's just silence, but you know, I talk about music and people are all up. So um, I'm just kidding. But uh, so I'm used to not being on the same team as people with music. I'm used to people having different opinions and all that. So this is one thing that's cool about uh, the series I was thinking about is though we all have different opinions on genres of music, what's good, what's uh, not good, Celine Dion, um, that, you know, th- th- that's okay. But here at FBC, uh, we try to create some common ground that we believe that what we find in Scripture is valuable, it's inspired, and it's helpful to us today. So we're looking at these four songs, and today we're looking at a song by a guy named Zechariah. And um, 
If you were here last week, uh, you know, I kicked it off talking about this song by this lady named Mary. That song is referred to as the Magnificat. Zechariah's song is referred to as the Benedictus. You don't have to remember these words. There's no test at like the Christmas Eve service to remember if you got these or whatever. But we're going to be looking at these songs. And last week, Mary's song was in response to this uh, miraculous understanding that she was going to give birth to this child. Even though she's a virgin, she's going to give birth to this child named Jesus. And he was going to be a game changer. He was going to change the world. And so she bursts into this song, this poem, where she just starts magnifying, worshiping God, making him bigger, and realizing her smallness and how in her smallness she can embrace and interact with the goodness of God. She can think in and engage personally with him because of what he's doing in her world. And I kind of told you a bit about the story, how she found she's pregnant, and she went and found her relative, Elizabeth, and uh, you know she was pregnant as well, and they have this little party, they're excited, and then Mary uh, sings her song. This uh, morning, what we're looking at is Zechariah's song, and Zechariah is Elizabeth's husband. Some of you guys know the story, some of you don't. And they end up giving birth to this kid named John the Baptist. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of the backstory, the context, and then we're going to look at the song that he sings as a result. So Zechariah is what's called a priest. He's one of the people that works in the temple back then, kind of like a pastor, a little different. But there's this one day where he gets chosen to be the person to go in and perform this religious ritual of burning incense that they uh, used to practice in the temple. So he's in there, and this angel named Gabriel shows up and says, hey, Zechariah. And I imagine he's like, oh, my goodness, like freaking out, crying, because an angel just showed up out of nowhere. But he's like, hey, Zechariah, you and your wife are going to give birth to a son. And Zechariah, he responds with doubt. This angel shows up. If you've read the Old Testament story of Gideon, same kind of scenario. Angel shows up, tells him something. He's like, "Ah, I'm not sure. And this is what Zechariah says. He's like, how can this be? He says, I'm old and really good husband move here. And my wife is well along in years. Doesn't refer to his wife as old. Very tactful. And he says, Gabriel, you're an angel. I don't know if you understand how it works with human biology, but like that ship has sailed, man. Like we are not having a kid anytime soon. And so he says to the angel, he says, how can I know that this is true? Can you give me a sign? Can you prove it? And Gabriel basically is just like, listen, I'm an angel that just showed up. Like the sign has happened. And he responds to Zechariah's doubt and says, because you were doubtful of what God has said to you, you will live in silence until this child is born. Now, we've understood that generally in the North American church to mean that he couldn't speak, he was mute. Um, I believe there's reason, we'll see it later in the text, to believe that he actually also couldn't hear. I don't know that for sure, but I think that Zechariah actually was deaf and mute. So all of a sudden, Zechariah comes back out of the temple, and his friend's like, hey, how was it? And dude at least can't speak, maybe can't even hear. His, he goes home, his wife's pregnant, her and Mary get together, they celebrate together, like, yeah, we're pregnant, this is awesome. Mary sings her song. And I want to hop into a little bit of the story uh, from Scripture here, Luke 1:57. If you've got a Bible, we've got it in the app notes, it'll be on the screens and all that. But this is what it says. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Now, I have some questions. Day eight, they're naming their kid. Well, they call him for the first seven days. It? Thing? Elfie? I don't know. So they've got this nameless child, and now on day eight, they have this party. And now, in this cultural context, they did a motion together. You know, we're pretty individualistic, so if you're having a tough day, you're having a tough day. 
In this context, if you're mourning, people are getting together with you to mourn. If you're grieving and wailing, you can actually hire people to do this with you. If you're rejoicing, people get together with you. So uh, they're having this uh, circumcision party. It's a little weird, but they all are neighbors together, and they're rejoicing. They're excited at his party. And then it says they went to name him Zechariah. They, you know, for us, we're like, what do you mean they? This is something parents decide in the hospital, and then they put on social media, and then people know the name and weight and length of their child. Uh, and then can start saying, which one does it look like of you two? And then you say, neither. Neither of us look like a baby, okay? Um, <laughs> sorry, that's a little bit of personal context. But the people are like, his name's Zechariah. Something I left out about the backstory earlier is that the angel said to Zechariah, the angel said, you need to name your son John. And to us, we're like, ah, oh, big deal, kind of a generic name. No offense to the Johns in the room, but a oh, generic name, but whatever. Like, what's in a name? For us, we carry on names sometimes, like a little bit, and it's just kind of a traditional thing. Like maybe you give a middle name from like a grandparent's name or something, and it's just to kind of keep the name in the family. It just kind of keeps it going for a little while. Well, back in this day, what it meant was something more significant. It kept the name alive, but to name his son Zechariah would literally be a statement that says, my son will walk in my steps. This son will follow in the way of Zechariah. More pressure to be a good dad in those days because it's like what I do, who I am, my baby Zechariah will now walk in my steps, walk in the shadow of me. So it wasn't just a way to keep a name alive, but it was a way to keep a legacy alive. So Zechariah, when he stopped living one day, he would continue living through his son and hopefully through his grandson and great-grandson. And Zechariah, the work of Zechariah, would continue on for years and years and years and years. You know, we view our lives as our work's complete when we're gone. Their context was, my work will continue on through all the Zechariahs to come. But Elizabeth says, no, no, no. Name's gonna be John. And so they're kind of like, this is weird. So then they're like, well... This doesn't make sense. So they turn to Zechariah. They're like, surely Zechariah will be like, no, that's crazy. We're naming him after me. This is my boy. And we're not going to have another one. Trust me, we're too old. Well, she's well long in years. I'm old. And it's not going to happen. So they turn to Zechariah. And they said uh, in verse 62, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. So this is why they, they had to make signs to him. So I would assume that it also means that he couldn't hear. What we can assume is Zechariah spent like a year-ish, whatever, however long it takes for babies to be made, I don't remember. But uh, it, he spends this like year, can't speak, maybe can't hear. He's probably become like the Middle Eastern charades champion of the year or whatever. And so they're acting to me like, hey, dude, like your wife's supposed to do something crazy. She's about to throw this crazy curveball. Name your kid John. And so he's like, he signals, he's like, bring me a tablet. So they bring him an iPad. He's like, no, no, not that kind of tablet. So they bring him a Samsung. He's like, definitely not that kind of tablet. Um, bring him a writing tablet. And he writes up. His name's John. And what happens? Boom. All of a sudden, he no longer lives in silence. His doubt cost him his ability to speak and maybe to hear. And then this act of faithful obedience to God gave him, redeemed his speech, gave him this gift back where now he could speak again. And I love what Zechariah does. Because for us, when we get something good in life, we get hooked up with something, something good comes along. At least for me, Matt, like I'm so, what I think about first is what do I get out of this? Or how can I enjoy this? What, what, what do I have for me? 
Zechariah doesn't be like, oh my goodness, now I can say all the things I've been thinking over the past year. Elizabeth, this year with you pregnant, let me tell you what I've been thinking. No, he didn't turn to that. He turns to God and just praises him. And I kind of compare this to, you know, when you get sick sometimes and you, you just haven't been feeling well, you, you know, you just haven't had the energy, it's not going well, it goes on for a while. And then there's that, that turnaround that happens some night when you're sleeping and you wake up in the morning and you, you kind of try to breathe and you're like, I can breathe. You know, my head doesn't hurt and you feel great. And I find that I feel like a million bucks in those moments because I'm like, I have just not felt like this for a while. My health has returned. I can't even imagine if I couldn't speak and maybe even hear for like a year, all of a sudden getting that back. Man, like I talk a lot now. You, you, after a year of not speaking, man, you guys, all you would hear is Ryan. And, but he turns and he just says, God, thank you for this gift. He doesn't selfishly be like, oh man, what, what can I do with this? What, can I, what are all the things I need to say? He turns and he just worships God. And we'll, we'll get to the song in a second. We'll just finish up the narrative. Verse 65 says, all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, the news is spreading. People were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now, this news is spreading. And it says that they were talking about all these things. And everyone asked, what's this child going to be? They start to realize this is something remarkable that's happening here. This isn't something normal. Christmas is like a magical time. You know, there are lights everywhere, all these decorations, presents. Like our world transforms around Christmas time. You could, you could like go into a coma for years. You wake up, you could tell it's Christmas because everyone's like decorating the world and stuff. Well, everyone except for me. Talisa and I don't have a prenuptial agreement except I told her very clearly before we got married, I will not help decorate for Christmas. You're more than welcome to. Um, so anyways, just so when you see the decorations, it's not my fault. But uh, I, I thought I lost credibility with wives before about the Celine Dion thing, the Christmas decorations. I get the bins down and I put them back up. I'm not a total deadbeat. But you see all these decorations not put up by me, Christmas is this magical time. And it's fitting when you consider the supernatural, overwhelming, miraculous nature of what's going on in the Christmas story. People who are too old to have babies, people who aren't, you know, who, like a woman who's a virgin is having a baby, and these babies come in and they are changing everything. Angels are showing up and talking to people. Guy loses his speech, and now he can speak. And it says that the neighbors heard about all these things, and they're like amazed, they're like something incredible, something, you know, miraculous is going on. And I, I just want to throw a little bit of my inference into the text. Because I would assume when they say, What's this, what, what then is this child going to be? The Lord's hand is with him. I'm assuming that Luke is leaving a little bit out here. I mean, this is like an 80-verse chapter, so it's long as it is. But I think he's leaving. I would assume that there's probably even more. If you're, if you're there there's probably even more sign of this, like signs of the supernatural. Like you're probably in it and you're like, oh my goodness, like I can't even describe this. And Luke's just writing down, this is what I can write down. So something incredible is going on. This, this child, John, is going to be something amazing. And so Zechariah breaks out into this song. And what I want to do is I want to read through the whole song and then we'll break it down into a couple sections and make some comments on it. So verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, 
My child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. You might be thinking, wow, those are some long sentences in Greek, all one sentence, so we're pretty hooked up now in 2019 in English. So he sings this song, and there are two kind of like main sections that I'd break this into. The first one, which ends in verse 75, what Zechariah is doing in this section, he's just reflecting on what we now have come to call the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to offer forgiveness of sins, to redeem us, to offer eternal hope, to extend grace and mercy to people who don't deserve it, and to transform our lives. So this is the first section, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what Zechariah's reflecting on. He's not calling it the gospel of Jesus Christ because uh, Jesus doesn't exist yet. And then, he can, in the second section, he turns to his son John, who's just been born. And he says, here I'm talking about the gospel, God's grace. He turns to his son John and he says, and this is your role within it. This is, as a result of this, this is what you are called to. This is your part to play in this. So, We'll work through these two sections, talk about it a little bit, and hopefully it'll be helpful to you this morning as you prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus this Christmas. So verse 67, we'll start again there. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. I love this. I want to talk about this holy pro- this said through his, uh, through his prophets of long ago. For us, at least for me, I've grown up in the church and I've heard, you know, oh, in the Old Testament prophets said something in the New Testament and Jesus' things came true. And for me, that's like, yeah, like, that's cool. I can read that Old Testament, New Testament, I read that, and that's, I see that. Zechariah doesn't have a textbook for that. He doesn't have, like, he doesn't have this, you know? He's got this, and he's, uh, he's, connecting like some of the first theological dots that have ever been connected in the history of humankind. Same, same with Mary. These are people who just with the text of the Old Testament are like, well, we know some of the promises of God and they're reflecting on what the prophets have said. And all of a sudden they're starting to see these evidences and they're just like, man, like this is, this, this might be it. This is happening. And I love how he starts recording this and he just says, what the prophets talked about a long time ago, this is like, this is it. This is here. And we'll get into what that prophecy was specifically about John in, in the next section. But he says, praise be to God. He has come to redeem his people, Israel. We read that nowadays, and we know that Israel doesn't just mean people who are born in that particular section of the Middle East. It's not a nationalistic thing. In the Old Testament, God worked through his nation Israel, but people outside of Israel were welcome to join in on this community. They're welcome to be a part of it. And the gospel transforms that into this understanding that when, when the New Testament writers talk about Israel or the family of Abraham, which we're going to see in a minute, that these are, these are the promises of the Old Testament that we can think in, that we can engage personally with God and have relationship with him as part of a big community of believers, the family of Jesus. Abraham's ancestors aren't just like his lineage, or descendants aren't his lineage of you know, those who have been born, but it's anybody who decides to accept the gospel, and follow Jesus Christ. 
And as Jesus is coming, we start to see this incarnation of that. This is coming to, this is like coming to earth right now that now it's like Jesus is about to be born. He's going he's gonna to live his life. He's going to die on the cross. And now everybody can just embrace that forgiveness that comes through that, that redemption that we've been forgiven of our sinfulness. This idea of salvation, I talked about this in the fourth week of our Titus series. And what it is, it's deliverance. And it's deliverance because there's this issue called sinfulness, that all people are born with this sinful nature, this, this devotion to follow our own will rather than to surrender humbly to God's will, to selfishly choose our own ambitions than to, rather, than to selflessly follow Jesus in what's best for us. And the gospel is that even though we've gone astray, the salvation is even though we've gone astray and we've rejected God and we've been rebellious and we've chosen sinfulness rather than his goodness, is that he is willing to forgive and give second chances. He's willing to say, I forgive you and I will wash you clean of that. I will free you from the effects of sin. I will offer you eternal hope. And this isn't just in a spiritual sense that Zechariah is talking about. This isn't just like something that happens when you die. This isn't just an eternal promise. But he continues on from there in verse 70, or 71. He says, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah goes from talking about just salvation in general, redemption of people's hearts, redemption of people's lives, to the salvation from enemies, from those who hate us. And you might read the text and be like, oh, well, like if I follow Jesus, then I won't have any enemies, I won't have anybody who hates me or anything like that. And if you've read the rest of Scripture, you know that that's not what's going on or what's promised here at all. In fact, Scripture promises that if we're passionately following Jesus, we will face persecution. But, but I, I look at what Zechariah is saying here in light of where Scripture says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah, in this life, you might have opposition, you might have struggles, you might have troubles. But Paul in Romans says that the, the struggles and the challenges that we face in this life pale in comparison to the eternal hope and glory that God offers us if we're redeemed by him and if we accept this free gift of grace and salvation. You can be delivered from the effects of anything that anyone or anything in this world would try to do to you to slow you down. You are a child of God, untouchable by the biggest of enemies, by the biggest of fears. And this is what he says. He says, you rescue us so that we can serve you without fear and in holiness and righteousness all our days. Coming, accepting God's grace isn't just about a gift that we receive one day when we die. It's about in this life, being able to be free from the effects of the things that, yeah, like life's going to get tough. But God offers peace that's bigger than that. Life might get tough, but God gives you strength and courage to get through that. And more than that, to overcome your sinfulness and to live a life where you don't have to be afraid, where you can overcome fear and where you can live in holiness and righteousness and actually be a reflection, an embodiment of the image of God that's been placed on you so that people can see the righteousness of God through you. This is the gospel. At Christmas, we, we talk about this birth of Jesus, which is huge, but the way I see the birth of Jesus is that this is the wrapping paper on the real gift. 
If on Christmas Day you wake up and you go to your Christmas tree and you see all these presents under there, it's not the reality in my house, but um, I wish, but uh, you see all these Christmas presents, you might look at them and say, wow, look at all the pretty wrapping paper. You know, it's sparkly, it's shiny, uh, you know, it's got nice bows, it's got nice ribbons, look at how well these gifts have been wrapped. My husband must have paid someone at the mall to do it. Um, if you're Talisy, you'd be like, wow, look at that gift bag with that tissue paper. That's perfect for my collection. You know, you can look at that and be like, this is beautiful. Beautiful. Let's just leave this here all year round. Let's, let, let's just, th- we'll leave this in our living room and it just looks beautiful. And if you do that, then you miss out on what the real gift was. If you leave them there and you never open it, then you don't get to play with your easy bake oven. You miss out on playing with your Legos that you've been waiting all year to get. The cat inside the box, it dies because <laughs> you didn't open the box. Jesus came an incarnation of the deity of God to exist on earth, but not just to be a baby, but to one day live his life and offer redemption and forgiveness of sins, fulfilled in him dying on the cross and offering us the good news of the gospel that no matter what we've done, where we've been, we can be forgiven and redeemed. That even though we don't deserve goodness, we can experience it in full and we can live holy and righteous lives. Christmas isn't just about the wrapping paper around the gift. It's about this true gift of what's coming. Christmas is about the true gift of the gospel. I'll quickly say, if you're here this morning, I don't know everybody in this room. I don't even know all your rooms, all your names, all your rooms. I don't know all your rooms either. That'd be weird, but I don't even know what that means. I don't don't even know all your names. There are a bunch of you guys. I don't know where you're at spiritually, but if you've never open this gift up. If you come to church and you see the wrapping paper of Jesus and you're just like, this is awesome. I go hang out, it's cool, we sing songs. But you've never come before Jesus and said, I am sorry that I have lived a life for my own desires. I want to repent. I want to embrace and receive the gift of the gospel. I want to open that up. Jesus, I want to know you and I want to live my life for you. Today's your day, man. Don't, Don't wait. It's the best gift you'll ever receive in life. Today, take a few minutes and pray and say, Jesus, I want that gift, if you've never done that. If you have questions, just come talk to one of us. We'd love to talk to you about that. So here's this message, the gospel. This is everything that we we talk about at FBC. We talk about leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's people understanding the truth of the gospel and only by the power of the gospel being able to engage with God. And then Zechariah goes from this, the goodness of God's grace and singing about that, and he looks at the son that he's just had, someone remarkable. What then is this child going to be? And Zechariah starts to unpack that a little bit. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High God, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I love this. This is more dot connecting that, you know, we have commentaries and like the New Testament and all that. Zechariah is like, man, those prophecies about someone going before Jesus, a voice calling out in the wilderness, if you know the reference, you know, these prophecies about someone coming and preparing the way for Jesus, this is this baby. This is is my son, John. John, called John the Baptist later on, you can read about him through the Gospels. He's crazy. He went on to do incredible things for Jesus, but I mean, he lives a really weird, radical life for Jesus. He does some weird stuff, but he... 
His course is all about this mission of preparing a way for Jesus. This is why he couldn't be named Zechariah. He's not just doing the thing that his dad did before. And his kid's not just going to do the thing he did before. John has been called for the special purpose and the special mission because God works through the individuals that he creates and he shows up and he partners with us in his mission. And here, John the Baptist, Zechariah is prophesying about him that this is going to be John the Baptist's, John the Baptist's part in the unfolding of the gospel. And John the Baptist, he grows up to be this guy in the wilderness, like living this weird life and telling people, Jesus is coming, guys. Repent of your sins. Embrace his forgiveness and grace. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you think you're so bad, you feel guilty. Guys, if you turn to Jesus, he will forgive you. And he goes ahead of Jesus and he prepares the way for him. And Zechariah is saying, this is what you're going to do. You are the way preparer for Jesus. This is your job. You prepare the way. I think about someone like rolling out a red carpet. Here's John the Baptist rolling out the red carpet. Or I was also thinking about in terms of, there's this uh, um, show, I don't know how I'm allowed to say this, that, okay, how I feel about my wife listening to Boney M, I also feel about her watching this show. It's called The Crown. Yeah, not really my jam. Um, so, sorry again, I hope I'm, we can still be friends we have, if, even if we have different TV show tastes. But I don't watch any shows like that. But, I, you know, if you think about that kind of a setting, I think I just watched a guy turn to a, to a girl and just say, what is that? Um, I haven't heard of it. It's about like ancient England, I think, and like, like rich, famous, uh, what are they called? Monarchs, royal people. But you, know, you picture from a movie, like a, a ball that like these rich, hoity-toity, like British people are at. And what happens when someone important shows up to the ball? The person goes in and they, before them and they say, hear ye, hear ye. I want to do a British accent, but it will be terrible. And uh, second service goes on YouTube, so I don't want to ruin that. But hear ye, hear ye. Here now enters Mr. Ryan Guerra. And everyone claps and applauds. I sign autographs. I bless their babies. You know, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, there's this, there's this person that comes in and announces them. And this is John the Baptist's job. And the question is, Why? did John have to do this? Like, did Jesus need someone to prepare the way? Could Jesus not have just showed up and been like, guys, I'm here. Here's my, here's my message. Here's my kingdom. He really need someone to roll out the red carpet to announce him at the ball to say, Jesus is coming? No, he didn't. In fact, Jesus doesn't need any of us for his mission. He doesn't need anybody for his mission. He could have written this on his own. He could have done anything on his own. This is one thing that's so awesome about God and how personal he is, is that he doesn't just enact his will on a universe that he's created, but he enacts his will through the universe that he's created. He calls people to partner in this mission. Now, hear me loud and clear. I mean, you know, I've been in lots of situations where people teach the Bible and they're like, okay, be like David. Or be. You're not John, and, and I'm not John. You know, none of us are Zechariah. This is John's story. This is a song about John. It's not about Ryan. It's not about any of you guys. So I don't, I don't want to do that. But what I want to reflect on is Zechariah sings the goodness of God's grace and mercy, the message of the gospel. And then he says, well, in response to that, John, what is your role within that? And I think that's a question that all of us can ask. You're not John. You didn't live a couple thousand years ago. Well, if you did, man, I want to know your secret. But you're not John. You are here in 2019. You're part of FBC. And FBC, our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know why God put you here and not there, but you're here and you're part of a church where that's our mission. And so the question is, what is your role within that? 
What does that call you to do in light of what the gospel is to you, in light of this incredible gift that God has given us? What does that require of you? What does that require of Ryan? How do I live faithfully within that? I've received this gift. It'd be great if everyone in this room would buy me Christmas gifts and I didn't have to buy a single one for anyone. I would love that. Love, my, gifts isn't my love language, so I wouldn't feel bad about that at all. I just feel so stoked about that. Unfortunately, that's how some of us live our faith journey, is we receive this incredible gift of God's redemptive love. We just hold on to it. I don't know, man. You're not John. You don't have to go live in a wilderness somewhere. You don't have to do the things he did. This song isn't about you. But you're here at this time and space with an opportunity to respond to the gospel in a faithful way. And what does that look like? I can't imagine that that looks like us hoarding that to ourselves and keeping that to ourselves, but responding with gratitude by saying, God, thank you so much for this gift. Let me give it. Christmas is a time where we give a lot of gifts. I hope we can reflect on the greatest gift that God has ever given us, the goodness, the forgiveness, the mercy, the redemption that comes as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that this baby came, but more so than him coming, he grew up and lived a life that showed us what it looked like to live for him and then gave his life so that we can receive this redemptive grace, this redemptive love. And then from there, we can take that and we can share it with the world and revolutionize the world. So this Christmas, as you're in it, maybe life's busy, maybe you're getting or giving gifts, maybe you're not and you're thinking about it, I don't know. Think about ways that God can use you to share the greatest gift that you've ever gotten. I hope you're part of what we do at FBC where we pray for three people regularly that we know that don't know Jesus Christ. If you're not praying for people regularly who haven't experienced his life-changing love, join us in that mission. Use opportunities, your relationships with others to share with them this incredible gift. Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you so much that despite my sinfulness and my struggles, my brokenness in life, that you are a redemptive God who loves me so much. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness and mercy when I didn't deserve it. And I thank you that that gift has been made available to all of us. If there's anyone here this morning, God, that doesn't know you yet and hasn't experienced the gospel, I pray that you would just fill their heart with your love and you'd call them to you so they can start that relationship with you. And for all of us who do know you, who are living in the way of the gospel, God, I pray that we would not be selfish with that but that we would embrace that as the greatest gift we've ever received and that we would make it our mission and our life to go out and share the goodness of your grace, your salvation, your redemption, your love with the world around us. We love you so much, God. Amen. Cool. I'm taking off for a couple weeks for Christmas, so I'll see you guys in the new year.